Welcome to Movie Culture. Today we are talking about Inside Out. Inside Out was released in 2015 and is Pixar's 15th feature film. The movie was written and directed by Pete Docter. Pete Docter. Pete Docter. If it has been a minute since you've seen this movie, here is a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it recently, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip on to the discussion. When 11-year-old Riley moves from Minnesota to San Francisco, inside her mind, her emotions help her through the transition. Joy runs the operation by keeping Riley happy and keeping sadness at bay. But when joy and sadness are flung to the far edges of Riley's mind, fear, disgust, and anger are left in control. With only these emotions influencing her, Riley gets angsty and irritable, eventually running away from home. Joy and sadness race back through the unfamiliar parts of Riley's mind, and in the process, they learn to work together. Joy learns that sadness is not an impediment to a happy life, but instead an integral part of Riley gaining emotional maturity. They make it back to Riley's headquarters just in time to get her home safely, and the emotions now help Riley make decisions through a more collaborative process. Josh, what did you think? Well, I love this movie. And there are a few things I want to say because I think it's a little difficult to talk about. So I want to bring some stuff in right up front. The first thing is that what we do on this podcast is we take movies that are fundamentally not taken seriously and we take them seriously because they're important, right? These films are seen by a lot of people. They ingrain their ways into our memories, our psychologies, and especially the psychologies of children. They really influence the way that you see the world. That's why we like these movies. That's why we think that they're important to talk about. We get a lot of runway, and there is a lot of runway out there for us to talk seriously about movies that are not taken seriously, but have really influenced people because of their popularity. Inside Out is taken very seriously, and people understand, partially because people acknowledge that it is a really fantastic movie. I think it was nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. It is among the most critically acclaimed movies, and also because of its subject matter, that it does talk about emotions so well. People take this one seriously, and they understand that it influences them. So first, for that reason, it's difficult for us to talk about with any nuance or depth that isn't already out there. Because so many people have talked about the emotions in this movie, specifically, I mean, joy and sadness, the characters who play emotions, and how those emotions outline human personality. There's a lot of research and thought about this Pixar movie, and I think that's the first reason that it's a little bit tricky for us to talk about. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that that is true. There's just been so much that people have said. It feels like the bar is a little bit high for us because, I mean, I, I would hope to always add to the conversation when we talk about a movie. And it's hard to add to the conversation when so many people have been saying very thoughtful things about this movie for almost a decade now. Also, a lot of those people are actual psychologists and child social workers, people who have a lot more professional experience and academic and research experience in this specific field about emotions and childhood than we do. While we like talking about story structure and how we enjoy movies, 
we are not specifically experts on child psychology. Yeah, exactly. And the second reason why I think this movie, at least for me, is a little bit difficult to talk about is because this movie had a really profound impact on me personally and the way I think through emotions. And I really like looking at movies from sort of this up high ivory tower intellectual perspective and think about how it made me feel, what I liked about it, have sort of a nuanced, thoughtful critique. And part of that, I think, comes with a emotional distance, right? You can see something as it truly is from that distance. And I don't necessarily have the emotional distance from this movie. Maybe you do, and you can see a little more cleanly than I can, but that's just where I'm coming from. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And this movie is very personal and intimate in a lot of ways. Just the story itself, it's about internal emotions. Exactly. So now that I've said that, I really want to ask you, Tay, what did you think of this movie? I was both prepared and nervous about coming in with a real hot inside out take. Mm -hmm. Just coming in being like, I hated it. (laughs) Um, I didn't hate it. It's great. It's a really wonderful movie. I really enjoyed it. I don't necessarily have the same emotional, nostalgic, personal connection to it. Mm. But I think it's a great movie. I think it's so creative and exciting and fresh to see. So I very much enjoyed watching it. I think fresh is such a great word. That's something I noticed right at the beginning of the movie, because the theme to the movie, the musical theme, the single key piano notes that play, that plays over the bouncing lamp. And it just felt immediately like a whole different sort of movie. It gave me goosebumps really right at the beginning. Yeah, it's very different tone to set than what we're used to with the lamp coming in. And from the very start, from that new opening with the lamp, from Joy's narration, it feels very confident. It just, you get the feeling that you are in good hands with this movie and it knows what it wants to do, where it's going, how it's going to pull it off. That's such a great example. We've been watching a lot of Oscar movies recently because the Oscars are coming up and it feels a little bit like one of those movies. Yeah, it's really impressive. I think that the thing that I liked best about this movie was the way that they took abstract concepts of emotions and what happens in your brain and they built this whole world around it that is so accessible And Mm -hmm. so creative. I love that it is simultaneously really layered. And there's a lot of systems that we're introduced to. And we have to learn about how memories are created. And which memories are the most important. And how they're then stored into long term. And then they fade. And which emotion governs each memory. And then we have the personality islands and that kind of informs an individual's unique personality. And then not to mention, we have all the stuff on the side with the dream studio and imaginary friends and train of thought and abstract theories. So really, there's so much going on. And yet it feels very simplified. It's It never gets confusing I don't think that there was ever a moment where I felt lost in the world building. That's such a great way. 
infrastructure that's going on inside of Riley's head. But like you're saying, you never get lost in the minutia. It all makes sense. And I think part of that is because these are concepts that we're very familiar with. You know, we understand what imagination is, what dreams are, and also the process of forgetting. So it feels intuitive, but I don't want that to take away from the work that the creators of this movie did to make the inside of our own brains feel so intuitive. Exactly. The skill that it takes to make something seem simple is really high. It's really deceptively high. It's so impressive. But it feels so intuitive, like you said, that it it almost is, it's like, oh, this is how the brain works. (laughs) Seriously. It's really easy to imagine your own headquarters and how that's working. Headquarters. Did you just get that? I'm sorry, did everyone else get that before? (laughs) Wow, that's a great joke. It's very clever. (laughs) And of course, if we're talking about expert world building, let's talk about the architect. The doctor. Yes. Did it again. His third Pixar movie so far. He's so good. I bring him up to say that we're not just saying that there is expertise in the ether, but that expertise is on people. And it's on the room that Pete Doctor put together to create this movie, the room of people he worked with to put together the story, and on him. Yeah, and all the people that go into making a movie. Of course. With the animators and the voice actors. The voice acting is really great in this movie. Another intuitive thing, I don't think they could have gotten any better five actors than the ones they did to voice those emotions. Yeah. I think especially, obviously, Amy Poehler is Joy, phenomenal. But I can't think of anyone who possibly could have been better at sadness than Phyllis Smith or anger than Louis Black. Not to mention Mindy Kaling and Bill Hader as disgust and fear, respectively. It's so good. And that's the, that's the other thing that works because these actors have built brands and we feel like we know the character type that these play. Exactly. And this, this really just pushes character type to the most extreme. Yeah. And I think that what this movie does with character is so fun because you get so much humor out of knowing a character and knowing what they're going to say and how they're going to react. I think we talked about this in Toy Story 3 of the humor that comes from a whole cast of characters. From us having an understanding of these characters over time. Right. And being able to predict how they bounce off of each other and how each one reacts to a situation differently. Mm. Inside Out is able to totally shortcut that because they just say... This character is disgust. And you know exactly how disgust is going to react to any given situation. And you know how all five of the emotion characters are going to react. And you know that they're going to be fundamentally different from one another. And that can create a lot of humor in the conflict. Absolutely. And because of the character design. The character design is so simplified and so intuitive. So even if you're a child watching this and you haven't seen these actors in anything else, you still are able to intuitively understand. That anger is going to blow his top. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the art of this movie is also phenomenal. What else did you like? Well, I want to stick on the world for a second. 
because I thought the movie did a lot within the world to create humor. And these mostly are the jokes at a pretty high level that might go over some kids' heads, but things like repeating deja vu a couple of times or just the humor you get from understanding your own mind, the way that imaginary friends work, the way that emotions would play inside your head. I thought there was so much humor there. And since this movie gets so emotional, I think having some really clever humor really balances out and rounds out this movie. So I really loved that part about it. But look, there were a lot of things I really loved about the movie. You know, I loved Bing Bong's character arc. I loved the voice acting, as you said. I really love the way that hockey plays a serious role in this movie. I don't have much to say about that, but I loved seeing that representation. Yeah, it is actually pretty unusual to see a character, a kid character being into hockey, especially a girl. Yeah. And I really liked looking into the dashboards in other people's minds. That was my favorite part of the movie. It's so fun. It's really fun. It's really fun to get an insight into the other characters. They do that with the mom and the dad. And at the very end of the movie with a boy that Riley bumps into. And we see inside his mind that he is panicking because he's talking to a girl. All his emotions are running around. They don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of the movie, in the, in the credits, after the credits roll, there are a bunch of clips of people's minds. But just that those little snippets that we got is really fun because it expands the concept. And we see that the emotions are slightly different and behave differently in other people's minds. One thing I really love about this is that everyone has a different emotion that's in the driver's seat, that's sitting in the center. And I think that's something that you can put onto anyone in the real world, right? I don't think that's like, this is the movie simplifying this concept or these characters because they're not one-dimensional characters, right? They've got all their emotions. Sort of as a default, the characters, the human characters in this movie have to be nuanced because they have all the emotions that they're dealing with. But I love thinking about it as what kind of person has, as Riley does, joy in the driver's seat. But her mom has sadness in the driver's seat. And maybe that's because she has a profound amount of empathy. Her dad has anger in the driver's seat, maybe because he gets easily frustrated. And we see the cool girl at the end, she's got fear in the driver's seat. And all of these different characters, it's just such a cool, heady concept that does so much for the character and the world in this movie. I know, it's so good. And I love I love watching it and thinking about what, what feeling is in my uh, headquarters driver's seat. I just don't understand how they made an incredibly philosophical movie. And yet it's like an earworm. It just, it fits so well. It makes so much intuitive sense. There are so many little bits of it that just make you go, Oh, that's how this thing works. Great. Of course, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah, it's brilliant. I do want to say something about other people's minds. Yeah. Which is just maybe I think that critique is too heavy of a word for it. But I thought it was interesting about seeing the dad's mind. Mm -hmm. So like you say, the dad is governed by uh, anger and when we get this glimpse into his mind, it's this brief interaction with him and the mom. And he's not really, he's not paying any attention to his family mm -hmm. while they're eating, which 
uh, reminiscent of Incredibles. I don't know why this is a thing that they keep doing. <laughs> um, but he he panics and he he realizes he hasn't been paying attention. So he, he's trying to figure out what they said and, and guess. But the way that his headquarters is set up is as if it's a war room because yeah. Anger's in the driver's seat. And I just thought it, it was interesting because with Riley, with the mom... And with the characters at the end of the movie, when we see inside of their minds, their headquarters really matches the outward presentation of what their character is. But the dad, I didn't feel that at all. Because actually, the dad, when he's interacting with Riley and with his wife, mm-hmm. doesn't seem particularly angry at all. Seems pretty seems pretty empathetic and calm and just generally like a good dad. (laughs) I don't think that anger being in the driver's seat prevents any of that. And that's one thing I actually really loved about the movie. I agree with you. I don't think that it prevents that either. I just think that the setup of it as a war room and the the very high tension, high energy Mm -hmm. and and everything is very high stakes. Mm -hmm. It didn't really translate to me to who that character was versus the mom who has sadness in her driver's seat. But we see that that presents as empathy and she's still, we see her having a lot of fun and, yeah. and being very happy with her family. So we know that that's not a bad thing to have sadness in the driver's seat, but it's, it was just, I, I don't know. It was interesting to me. And I, I thought that the presentation of the dad's mind was presented that way to contrast what it's like to be inside a woman's head versus a man's head. Because they're really doing this like, uh, man, am I right? They're playing out this very stereotypical dinner scene. Yeah. And I, I just thought it was notable because that stereotypical representation of what a man's brain is like didn't actually translate to the character that they were presenting on screen. And... I think that that's because the actual character of the dad, what we get from him is realistic. It's a nuanced portrayal of a person. And so that clashes a little bit with that stereotype of, you know, uh, men don't pay attention and they don't know what to do. They're kind of out of their depths with their family. And they're also, you know angry and high testosterone, whatever, whatever. Yeah, that is really played up in that scene between the mom and dad for the comedic tension of the scene, which works. But I actually really love, for all the reasons that you said, what that scene is doing. Because I think it would be easy to take these characters and say, here's what someone looks like if they are run by joy. Here's what someone looks like if they're run by sadness. And to turn the human character's you know, two-dimensional. And I really, really loved that there is dissonance between the way the dad acts as a person and the way that he processes information. Because I think that's what this driver's seat thing is about. Anger isn't just being mad, it's also taking things very seriously and literally and passionately and being action-oriented. And it's a full way of processing things that can move itself in a different direction, right? It's anger who gives other people the reins in the dad's head, but he doesn't have to be an angry man for anger to be in the driver's seat. So I really loved the way that the movie is saying, just because 
you are driven or guided by certain emotions, that doesn't need to affect your actions, right? You are still in control of your actions. It's not these tiny people in your brain. So I understand what you're saying. The dissonance is a little tough, and there certainly is a little bit of dissonance, but I actually thought that that dissonance added a lot of depth to the movie. You know what's a really fun thing about what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Because I think that's really smart, and I agree with that. Is that when you compare the glimpses of the parents' heads with Riley's head, Mm -hmm. the parents have certain emotions in their driver's seat, like everyone in this world does. But it's a very collaborative scene amongst all five emotions when Mm -hmm. we see inside their minds. The mom's head is a a discussion table about they're talking about what they should do. And of course, the dad's head is this war room, but everyone is is playing a role and and shouting back and forth what should we do and and everyone has their their place and with Riley all of the emotions are often fighting each other for which emotion is going to take charge and mm-hmm. the emotion that controls her at any given moment is the emotion that kind of wins the battle and <laughs> gets to the button first exactly and i think that that's a really interesting comment on what it means to mature yeah. And to grow up. And I think that that's a lot of what Joy learns to do in the movie is to be able to give other emotions the reins and to understand that she can't be the only one all the time. And of course, at the very end of the movie, the little inside brain workers put in a new dashboard where they can all sit and all contribute at the same time as a sense of her maturity. Yeah, and I love the the idea that maturity is being able to access all of your emotions and yeah. process it in a full, healthy way versus I, just having all the emotions flying around and you don't know which one's going to be in control at any moment. I totally agree. I just want to say as a last thing on this topic that I love the way that the different brains are designed based on who's in the driver's seat. Because one, it's a great visual gag, but also I think it says a lot about brain functionality and how our emotions literally rewire the way that we process information and make decisions. That it's not just that we all make decisions the same way from different emotional places, that what we think and how we act can literally change the architecture of our minds. There are so many layers of deep interesting nuanced thoughts about neurology and psychology it's so cool yeah it is and it's so cool that you can also just watch this movie i think that the the idea of pixar at its best is layering in all of these levels for different viewers exactly that if you are a kid viewer or an adult viewer who just wants to watch the main plot Mm mm-hmm then you do. And it's a very fun world about the inside of your brain. And there's an adventure with a lot of the emotions. But you can also watch it from a lens of psychology and neurology. Yeah. Wow. And of course, that main plot is still so excellent. And I think that it needs to be in order to carry all of those levels. Yeah. The stakes of this movie are so high. And I think part of the way they do that is by connecting joy and sadness's experiences with Riley's experience. So that even though joy is our protagonist, Riley is the one facing the stakes. 
Yeah, that's really interesting to have an outward expression of consequences. Exactly. And I'm thinking specifically of a few different moments. The first is what I think is the break into act two. This is about a quarter, a third of the way through the movie. And that's when joy and sadness and the emotions all get shot up the memory tube and flung out to, you know, the distant areas of the mind. And Riley is left without her core memory orbs. And those memories are the basis of her personality, which means that a third of the way into this movie, Riley loses her whole identity. And the rest of this movie is about restoring not only the orbs that make up her memories, but also her literal sense of self. Yeah, the movie establishes the personality islands, which are each Mm -hmm. controlled by a main core memory. So when the memories disappear, her personality islands go dark and they start to crumble. And so she's literally losing her personality. It's kind of wild. Yeah. There's another moment not that far after where Joy is looking at the long-term memories and looking at these really old memories. And she picks a bunch up that have faded, that are going to be forgotten soon and says, oh my God, look at, look at you back then. You used to be so joyful. When Riley was a toddler, she was so happy and everything was so simple and easy back then. And those memories are forgotten. And all you want is to go back to that place where everything was simple and everything was happy, right? You remember these specifically happy memories. And there is an immense amount of tragedy in the way that kids grow up. Yeah, Yeah, that's definitely a thread of the movie that had a lot of emotional impact. And I think that it's that double layering again of it's not just the experience of losing your sense of self as you grow up and having to redefine and rediscover who you are. But it's also the parent perspective of that experience of of getting to know your kid and watching them change and and I think that joy represents a lot of that, mm-hmm. that anxiety and that fear and that sadness of losing those memories that she had with Riley when Riley was really young. And when those personality islands fall, they don't come back. They're rebuilt differently, but you never get what you once had. So there is a permanent change that happens. And that is really, I don't know, I can't think of a better word for it. It's a tragedy. There's a lot of mourning in this yeah. movie and and Joy mourns the loss of those personality islands and those memories. But Riley is mourning that too. And, and mm-hmm. I think that the metaphor of her moving, it doesn't need to be that she's literally moving and leaving her old life behind, but that's a very good metaphor for it. Yeah. And that's a very good way that the movie represents this feeling of loss that growing up is loss in a lot of ways and is also really exciting and happy because she gets new personality islands and new memories and meets new peoples but it's it's also very sad and at the end of the movie when the movie introduces memories that are both yellow and blue for happy and sad mm-hmm. and basically introduces the feeling of bittersweetness i think that that's really moving because to me That is so much of the feeling of coming of age and Mm -hmm. 
that feeling of maturing is bittersweet. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I love that this movie does is it recognizes that maturing and aging is not a simple process. It's an incredibly emotionally important process and difficult from an emotional perspective. There are a lot of pitfalls, in some cases literally, right? When joy falls into the pit of lost memories, that's another moment that the stakes are just through the roof because you understand that if joy doesn't get out of that pit, Riley will never be happy. She will never have a happy emotion in her entire life. And again, that is absolutely tragic and serious and a huge, important emotional question in this movie. And there's just one more point that I felt like was the moment with the highest stakes of all. And even more than joy in the pit, I thought that this was the all is lost moment is when anger and fear and disgust get locked out of the board. That the idea that she should run back to Minnesota has taken hold and they can't change her actions. Which means that Riley, as soon as she gets on that bus, the dashboard goes dark and she is fully out of touch with her emotions. Her emotions have no impact on her. It's like she is existing totally separately from her thoughts and feelings and has, in a way, entered a depression for that time. Mm -hmm. And the way that we see that through how Joy is acting and through how her other emotions are feeling in that moment, the worry that they have for her and also the way that it flashes back and forth between the internal emotions and Riley on the bus looking depressed it just really had the gravity of this moment. So often when we think about stakes in movies, we think about the biggest possible stakes. And those are the end of the world. If you don't defeat that supervillain, that's the end of the world. If you don't do X and Y or change the world in some way, that's the end of the world. And that's how we know that what the characters are doing is really important. And sometimes the stakes are lighter, and that makes us feel like, It'd be great for the characters to do what they do, but we don't really need them to do what they do. In this movie, the stakes are honestly as high as any movie I can remember. But it's all internal. It's just all that happens with this child. Yeah. It's really cool because a lot of times stories will have both emotional stakes and external stakes. And the emotional stakes will be the internal journey and the change that the character is going on. And then external is something, you know, maybe something smaller, like falling in love and finding a romantic partner or something huge like saving the world. But what this movie does is we have the emotional internal stakes of our main character, who is Joy, and the internal change that she is going on. And then the external stakes are also emotional stakes. They're mm -hmm. just Riley's emotions. Exactly. It's very cool and very smart. And I think the reason why this works is because each of us has a world inside of us. And we see this in the movie that our minds are a whole world and the way we perceive things is a world in itself. And there's a Talmudic quote which goes along the lines of whoever saves one life saves the entire world because you're saving the entire world for that person. And I think you really get that in this movie. 
that it feels like the entire world is saved because Riley's entire world is saved. I love that. So, Josh, I feel like this whole conversation has kind of been a conversation about the themes and ideas in the movie. But did you have one theme that you felt like was the overarching idea? Well, you've cued in on it a little bit, and that's that it is really important to have complex emotional experiences. That is not only the mark of maturity, which we see explicitly in this movie, but also gives life importance and depth that we've not truly experienced what it means to be alive unless you have complex emotions, not just guided by joy or anger, but emotions that are mixed and in conversation with each other. Yeah, I think that that's true. I think it's an important theme to talk about now because there is so much of society and so much in commercialism that tries to negate that, that tries to say, if you're angry, you will click on this link, right? That's a lot of clickbait. It's Twitter's entire business model. Keep you having one emotion, right? Keep you having one unnuanced emotion. And people like that. It causes a serotonin spike. That does feel good, but also you need to come out of that. And of course, we want to be happy all the time, but it's unsustainable. You need the conversation between emotions. And I don't think the world makes that easy. It is so much easier to move towards simplicity, both in beliefs and ideology and also in emotions. It's easier to have any of the five emotions that this movie focuses on than to understand the nuance and the collaboration between them and to feel that. To feel conflicted is not something people really enjoy, but it is a really important human experience. Yeah, I think that that is beautifully said. And I think that the scene where Riley is interacting with her parents and she finally cries and shows them how sad she is and expresses Mm -hmm. that and they comfort her, we see that memory being blue and yellow and bittersweet And then the movie cuts to Riley's face and she kind of sighs. And the expression that they give her is just, I found it so moving. It was just this like expression of peace almost. Yeah, exactly. That is not one of her primary emotions. She doesn't find that peace and contentment just through one single emotion. It's through the combination of a more complex feeling. And that is in such great comparison with what happens earlier in the movie when a bunch of emotions are battling at the dashboard for her and it pulls out onto Riley's face and you can see her as the emotions are talking about who's in charge. You can see her flicker through nervousness and anger and sadness and excitement. But each of those are happening individually in moments. There was a moment while that was happening, by the way, that I was like, oh, whoever's playing Riley is an incredible (laughs) actor because of the way that emotions manifested. And then I remembered it was, of course, animation. Honestly, Pixar has come so far from back in the Toy Story 1 days when they didn't know how to animate people. (laughs) They were just like, Andy's going to be a blob. 
And you know what? The animation in this movie generally, I don't think is as cutting edge as in other recent Pixar movies. It is less hyper-realistic in the way it portrays landmarks and the world around her. It's just kind of a classic CGI movie. But the nuance that they are now able to give to these characters, oh boy, it's so, 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 so good. <laughs> it is. What about you, Tay? What did you think the theme of this movie was? Well, yeah, I think that we've touched on a lot of it already. Um, I think that what you said is really true. I think that that is primarily the theme of the movie. I also think that if we look at Joy's internal journey, we get a really great message that is pretty much in line with it of you have to learn to trust other people and... Mm -hmm even if other people do something differently or are different than you, that doesn't mean that their way is worse or bad in some way. That's a great message. Yeah. And then we also see another lesson or theme in what Riley learns throughout the movie, which is that sharing her feelings is important. And it's important for her to be vulnerable with her loved ones because that bonds her with them. Yeah, another really meaningful emotional theme. And I love that this movie says a lot of different things, but it's all related. I think that a lot of times mm -hmm. we can see stories that have lots of different themes and ideas, and that's really great. But they're scattered. Right. And then on the other side of it, sometimes there are movies that say one thing really specifically and and really cohesively. And they're just really nailing in on that one single message. Mm -hmm. But this one kind of has a whole collection of themes that are all in conversation with one another, much like our emotions. This movie is philosophy. <laughs> Not a philosophy, mm -hmm. but philosophy broadly. It is the full beliefs and understandings about how we as humans function. I'm... I'm just blown away by this movie. I want to ask, from a structural perspective, in terms of pacing, in terms of the character beats, I'm wondering if there was anything that you can pick out, honestly, that just was imperfect. <laughs> um, I mean, this movie, from a pacing and structure standpoint, it hits the classic restructure Hollywood beats pretty much... At every moment that you would expect. It's very tight in that sense. Maybe it's not original in its form of story structure, but it hits the expected beats exactly when you think they'd be hit. But, you know, I think that that is necessary for a movie like this. I think that if they were mental in their structure, mm -hmm. it would become too much. They're already introducing a whole new world. They're already taking abstract concepts and then translating mm -hmm. them. And to ask us to then go off on a, on a new plot structure that we're not necessarily familiar with, yeah, I think that it would have been distracting. It would have taken more effort to follow the line <laughs> of the plot. And this movie is very smart about making the mind at once understandable and logical, 
but mm-hmm. also feel very fanciful and you don't necessarily know where the characters are going to end up next. And it feels like kind of almost a meandering journey, but the meandering is a bit of an illusion because the plot is so carefully tuned and it's very specific in taking us through a structural journey that it knows that we are familiar with. Yeah, keeping the structure simple is part of what makes this movie feel so intuitive. Yes. And lets the audience connect in the way that it does. Yeah. It's just really good. I can't really think of a critique. (laughs) I mean, I've got one, and maybe this is the place we should end. Riley, your family just moved to a $3 million house in San Francisco. (laughs) So I pull up. She's all excited about what this house might look like. And they pull up and she looks up at this, at a full townhouse. They they yeah. bought the whole thing. And she's just like, bleh, gross. <laughs> it's like, Riley. Yeah, your parents are buying a house in San Francisco in 2015? Like, damn, girl, good job. <laughs> she's appreciate like, them she's like it's dirty Ugh, get over uh, yourself I get a to, vacuum <laughs> i have to live in a bedroom with peaked attic ceilings oh no honestly that's the dream i know i know <laughs> that's the only thing like and of course that's not a real thing that's god there i <laughs> and she's a kid and she's just she doesn't know the the home values and she's just expressing her missing her old house but yeah I, I really kept thinking about how nice that house actually was i suppose i can't fault a movie for representing a kid who doesn't understand property values and the importance of living near a new job that you get that's not on the movie that's actually something the movie does well yeah <laughs> I suppose that we could have a separate podcast about how this movie is really advocating that you should never leave the suburbs, which is not something I would agree with, but I'm not willing to go down that rabbit hole. But she does end up happy. I know she does. You know why? Because cities are the best places to raise children. Okay. We say as childless people. (laughs) Yeah. I'm confident about this, though. Oh, (laughs) no. Play it back for me. Okay, on that note, I got nothing else. Well, this was a great movie. What are we watching next week? Next week, I believe we are watching The Good Dinosaur. Oh, we have not seen that. I don't believe anybody has seen that movie. The secret Pixar movie. Well, you'll hear about it here first, five (laughs) years after it came out. All right. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, please tell a friend. Spread the word about movie culture. The movie culture movement. Oh. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next week.